0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, yeah, play, play dumb. Oh, I didn't know that it was against the law, officer, to, to run my car through this Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, who knew? You know, like. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man with a tattoo of Mr. Rogers just below his third nipple, my brother Mike. That is America's father, by the way, or maybe grandfather. I don't know. But also, we are identical twins. So if I have a third nipple, don't you have a third nipple? I don't think that's how the science of that works out. I don't think that's entirely <laughs> true. I think I think yours. I think yours evolved as the result of being part of some sort of experimentation, or maybe you, you stumbled into a toxic waste dump. But instead of superpowers, you just got this weird growth on your body. That makes sense to me. And and so obviously it has to be a nipple, non-functioning, of course. I'm a non-functioning. <laughs> I mean, your other two have such function, you know. <laughs> non-functioning, yes. But anyway. Get a look at that tattoo if you ever see Mike at the beach. It is, it's is—it's not what you'd think. It's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one. Um, it's evocative. <laughs> we have a monster episode of Royals Weekly for you this week. We'll talk all about the acquisitions that have been made since our last episode, how the Royals might deploy their pitching uh, staff this this season, as it looks like maybe they're transitioning to a new pitch usage model. And then we'll, t- we'll talk about the Royals' top 30 prospects list that we've created for Royals Weekly. And we'll uh, ask or talk about what questions need need to be answered in spring training. Because, hey, guess what? It's like two weeks until the first spring training game. Maybe less. Oh, no, it's a yeah, 12 days, I think, till the first spring training game for the Royals. So that is huge, huge, huge. But first, we have a couple of bits of big news for the Weekly Weirdos. Number one, and this might be the most important one. We're doing a $100 gift card drawing, Q39 gift card. To enter this drawing... All you have to do is leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, either one or both, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. So you can enter this contest three times. Leave us a Spotify five-star rating, an Apple Podcast five-star rating, and an Apple uh, Podcast review, and you are entered three times. All you have to do is send a screenshot of your entries to Pod at gmail.com. That's RoyalsWeeklyPod, P-O-D, at gmail.com send us those screenshots and you are entered to win this $100 q39 gift card obviously we are doing this to draw reviews and ratings from you but that's okay we give away some free barbecue all you got to do is give us a little bit of a rating there on spotify apple podcasts send it to royals weekly Pod at gmail.com this is also a way of giving back to you for being such wonderful followers we really, really appreciate you listening go eat some free barbecue on us i just had a Pit, what is that sandwich we love, Mike? It's, oh, like a... it's called the Pitmaster. It is
1: fantastic. Oh.
0: I just had one like a week ago again, and I'm still thinking about it in my brain right now. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, get yourself some $100 Q39 for free. That's on us. All you got to do, rate, review, Spotify, Apple podcasts. Another big announcement, and I'm really excited for this because this means we get to do more Royals Weekly, and it'll be the first time I've ever been Royals Weekly is headed to spring training. woo March 8th through the 13th, Mike and I will be down in Arizona to get an in-person look at the Boys in Blue, and we'll be putting out an episode every night we're there. Not the first night and the last night, because that's us flying in and flying back. But every night in between that, we're putting out an episode. So you'll get something like five episodes that week with us talking about what we're seeing from the team down in spring training. We're going to get in a lot of minor league baseball, a lot of major league baseball. It's going to be a ton of just intense content production from Royals Weekly to kick off the year. We're really excited about it. We really hope you all are willing to tune into us every single morning to hear what we have to say about how the Royals are looking down in spring training. So look forward to that. Put that on your calendars. But other than that, let's move into what's been happening for the last month since the last time we had an episode. It all starts with roster news. That's all they're really doing right now is shaping this roster into what it's going to be for the 2023 season. I think the big sort of splash, I don't know if it's a splash, the big sort of announcement since the last time the Royals, uh, since the last time we had an episode, the Royals have gone ahead and signed Zach Granke to a one-year deal worth about $8 million as a base and about. I think a potential of like 15 million with all the incentives. We'll see if he gets to all that. Mike, what do you think? We've talked a little bit about bringing Granky back and what you think of it. What do you think now that they've made the signing? You know what the money is. What do you think about the move overall? I, I get it. You know, he's, you kind of know
1: what you're going to get with Zach Granke. He's going to provide you some innings. It'll be really interesting to see what his results are with perhaps a different approach to pitching with the new coaching staff that's coming in may help Zach Greinke if he does, if they don't allow him to go deeper into games and things like that. But you know what you're going to get with Zach Greinke? It's always going to be a one-year deal. Looks like we're, we're basically going to get Zach Greinke in our community for the rest of, it seems like this is where he wants to live. I, I didn't hear about him talking to any other teams or anything like that. So yeah, it's, I completely understand. The interesting thing is what is this? This narrows down the number of spots for some of those younger pitchers to get starting opportunities. You know, your your Heasley's, your uh, Hernandez, your Bubich, those guys who might be fighting now for a single spot. Because if you're assuming Daniel Lynch has cemented one and you're, you know, Granky's going to have one and, and Lyles is going to have one and Singer is going to have one, what about Keller? Does Keller get one? I I always forget Brad Keller is on this team, by the way, (laughs) I I always forget that he's, he's in the rotation as well. So, you know, it's now narrowing down to where you're not going to have a whole lot of spots, but that may also play into this new pitching approach that we were talking about where you may stash a Bubich or a Hernandez or a Heasley in triple a and bring them up as needed kind of a thing. You know the Rays are, are pretty notorious especially in the bullpen for using their AAA roster pretty much like it's their major part of their major league roster. And so if the Royals start doing that, you may see a lot more back and forth than what we're used to.
0: Yeah, I think the Granky signing makes perfect sense just because they need innings. They think Granky can probably give them something like 120 to 150 innings because, you know, he's not young. It's not like he can go out and be that 200-inning you know, front of the rotation kind of guy he was in his younger days. But you get 200, or not 200, you get 150 quality innings out of him. I think that's right exactly what you're hoping to get. It does narrow the, what it also does is creates competition for those last couple of of rotation spots. Now, you know, I'm not ready to give Lynch one of those spots. You remember going into spring training last year, it looked like, okay, well, Brady Singer is going to get one of those spots. And then he didn't, right? Because he just didn't pitch well in spring training. He was very clearly not ready to be in the rotation to start the year. It might be the same thing with Lynch this year because he's going to be competing with Bubich and Heasley and Max Castillo and maybe Angel Zerpa, maybe Carlos Hernandez, definitely Brad Keller. He's going to be competing with these different guys who have starting experience, a lot of them at the major league level. It's not going to be given to Daniel Lynch, I don't think. And we'll see on that one. Do I expect him to win one of those spots? Yeah, I do, just because I think he's got more talent than a lot of those guys. But essentially, we have two spots and about five or six guys competing for it. And I think that's always a good thing. And anyone who doesn't win it can, of course, go to the bullpen, can be stashed in AAA, all that sort of stuff, as you mentioned. Perfectly happy for the Royals to pay roughly $8 million base and maybe $11 million after incentives. Because if you look at the incentives, they're all innings based, basically. It's like if you pitch, you know, 50 innings, you get another million million or $2 million. If you pitch 100, you know, and so every time he gets those, so if he throws anything like 120 to 150 innings, he's going to make $12, $13 million this year, uh, Zach Granke. But good to have him back. We always love having Granke stories. We always love mm-hmm. having interesting Granke moments. So uh, great to see him back in Kansas City. Another interesting moment that took place roster-wise, Adalberto Mondesi was traded with a player to be named later to the Red Sox for left-handed relief pitcher Josh Taylor. Mike, you and I have kind of been talking about getting him off the roster in some way. I mentioned the non-tender option. They went with the trade option. What do you think of this trade? Mondesi is no longer a Royal. He is now a Boston Red Sox. I'm okay with it. He needed a new place to play, right? Because
1: could he have fit into this infield somewhere. Yes. But then you're taking away opportunities from younger guys on a gamble that he's going to stay healthy. So put him with Boston who needs uh, up the middle help. Let him, they'll let him play shortstop. I'm sure. And, and that'll all work out great. And maybe he, maybe he stays healthy finally for once in his career because he was done after this year anyway, with the Royals more than likely. Um, and so yeah, I think it's fine. The return isn't great. Josh Taylor is another guy who's had injury issues in the past. Um, but when he's been healthy, he's been pretty effective from the left side. And it kind of creates it, it was when they started doing that, when they picked up Taylor and some of the other guys that got back in trades, you could kind of see that they were going with a bullpen diversity. Guys that throw differently from each other and creating kind of a bullpen that is way more. I don't know. Flexible maybe is
0: the way I'm looking at it. I don't know. Wait, what are you doing? Stealing the points that I'm about to make. What are you doing? Get out of, get out of here. Oh, i sorry. I didn't, I should have read you your, point your point thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what, yeah. Play, play dumb. <laughs> well, I didn't know that it was against the law officer to, to run my cars and just Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, who knew? You know, like, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, this is the point that I was going to make on this is that like when, when Mondesi was traded for Taylor, and, you know, some some of the other moves too, but that's when it really signaled to me. Oh man, maybe they're going to try and do something different with this pitching staff. Maybe they're going to try and employ a raise model on this pitching staff where starters don't go more than four or five innings. Typically bullpen is highly specialized. So you see guys like Jose Quas, you see guys like Turner and Sisk, the, all these lefties that they're getting. That's a highly specialized bullpen. These are guys who can really only get righties out, only get lefties out, or are only good against this type of pitch hitter, only good against that type of hitter. This guy's only good to get ground balls, stuff like that, highly specialized bullpen usage. And then when they burn those guys out or when they're using them too frequently, they just send them back down to AAA and bring up the next guy, right? Because a lot of these guys have options. And so it's like a carousel of different players coming back and forth, up and down I-29 all the time, just getting pumped in and out of that bullpen that's what it looks like they're going to try and do to me with this pitching staff at this point. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really encouraging move to make because if you can't develop or sign high-level starting pitching, you have to have a different way, right? You have to have a different way to find little bits of value out of your pitching staff. I think this is one of them.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it'll be very interesting to see, sorry, it'll be very interesting to see if that sort of stuff kind of leaks into the back end of that starting rotation. If that way of thinking becomes a little bit more popular because a lot of the guys that we have in that starting rotation have options as well. And so if if you're bringing a guy up and he's going every fifth day and he starts to lose some of that effectiveness, do you send him back down to to maybe skip a start or two and then bring somebody else up if their if their effectiveness is relatively even, there's no point not to.
0: And they do have a ton of back end quantity like a lot of it. Heasley, Boobich, Hernandez, Keller, you know, there's just so many of them. Parrish, Zerpa. Oh, there's a bunch. There's a whole bunch of them. And, (laughs) you know, interestingly, I think that you're also then giving every guy a chance to show that he's made, taken a step forward, to show that he's like improved in some way. And what's interesting, I mean, people talk about like, oh, the Royals don't have a front end of their rotation. They need somebody to come in behind Singer and stuff like that. It's like, take a look at what happened last year. It wasn't the front of their rotation with Singer and Granky that did any that was doing the damage. It was the back end of their rotation that was causing them major, major problems. You can't have a back end with dudes with five three ERAs. I mean, that's what it went. Three four five for the Royals was like five three, five four, five two, you know, like it was just over five ERAs for the whole back three fifths of their rotation. That just can't happen. You're gonna lose a lot of games that way. They're trying to create pitching depth with, you know quantity of back end starters bullpen guys some of the signings they have nope they're not going to have you know the Clayton Kershaws and the Max Scherzers of the world and all that but they're going to have some pitching depth and I think they're going to see some some benefits from that another thing that added to that was when they finally did the thing that you and I have been screaming for them to do for about 7 months now and they traded Michael A Taylor an in division trade they traded Michael A. Taylor to the Twins for left-handed pitcher Evan Sissek and right-handed pitcher Steven Cruz, both of them minor league bullpen arms. Although, has Sisk had any major league time? I can't remember. Um, but anyway, um, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I think so. I don't think he has, but I think I it's he like, had. has had some triple A time and people are like, he's ready to come to the majors. Okay. But anyway, Sisk, left-handed pitcher, Cruz, right-handed relief pitcher, they're both relievers. We've been calling for this for a while. Mike, do you like the move? Do you like the return? So... Yes, I like the move and the fact that we've been calling for it for so long, but the problem is I can't
1: help but think like, oh man, how, how much less return did you get? Because you waited a year and a half to get rid of this guy. You know, there were multiple opportunities along the way to, to trade Michael A. Taylor for higher value and the Royals never did it. Now I know that was the old regime, but it's still, it's still your organization. It's still a problem. And so, yeah, I'm, the return is, eh, it's Okay. I'm not expecting huge things out of either one of these guys. Although I think, I think for sure, Sisk can be a solid part of a, a bullpen. I think he's a good acquisition. I think Cruz is more of a, a lottery ticket kind of a thing. But you never know. Sometimes you can get something out of those guys. You know, it looks like up and down the organization, they're preparing for these kind of super bullpens that are diverse, that are large. When you consider your major league bullpen and your triple a bullpen. So I, you know, I expect to see one or both of these guys at some point this year. And uh yeah, it's, it's whatever you, they got value for Michael a Taylor. That's all you can say at this point, they had to kind of take whatever they could.
0: Yeah. I, I hate that. They keep putting themselves in that position. That's like, now you're at the point where you need to take whatever you can get. Right. Because They're just losing, they're dumping so much value on these guys. The same thing was true with Whit Merrifield. The same thing was true with, you know, Carlos Santana. You get to that point where, oh, we just have to take what we can get. Got to that point with Alberto Mondesi. Now that's a different case because he had so much potential as a player and so on and so forth. But they're just getting into, they put themselves into these situations where they have no choice but to take something that seems like lesser than that player's peak value. And This is definitely lesser than Michael A. Taylor's peak value, but, you know, at least they got something for him. And you're right. It does signal, like this year, Royals fans, do not think of the rotation and the bullpen as like Major League pitching staff, AAA pitching staff. Just think of it as one big pitching staff, because that's how it's going to be utilized. It's all one big pitching staff this year, whether it's in AAA or the majors, it's all one big thing, okay? The one thing it does, the Michael A. Taylor trade, is it does free up some room. For some of their younger outfielders to play, they have a ton of those as well with Olivares and Isbell and Waters and Melendez. Looks like he's going to play a lot of outfield and Nate Eaton is, you know, couldn't play a great outfield and that sort of thing. They have a lot of outfielders. They need to make a room for him. And Michael A. Taylor, for as well as he's played with the Royals and he's played pretty well, is not going to be a part of their future. And so good, good idea to move him. But they should have really done it six months ago, seven months ago when you and I said they should have. And everyone else was saying it too, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, they did have a couple of interesting minor league deals as well. Before spring training starts, you, you always see teams like sign all the, these veterans and stuff on minor league deals to see who's going to like round out their roster. If somebody's like taking a step forward or something like that. I found a couple of them interesting. They signed a guy, an infielder named Johan Camargo. Uh, I don't, for from the Phillies, I think he was where he most recently played, but he played for the Braves for a long time before that. They also signed a guy named Matt Duffy. Who, uh, a 32-year-old third baseman. Camargo is uh, both a shortstop and a third baseman. Uh, he's a glove first guy capable of playing short and third. He's been up and down offensively really in his career, but he's around a 90 weighted runs created plus for his career in the major leagues. Uh Duffy, known as a good glove guy at third, though his defensive metrics don't necessarily love him all the time. He uh, doesn't strike out too much, uh, but I think he'll like Uh, He doesn't have a ton of power either for a third baseman, not a lot of power. And so I think he'll get a chance. Everybody will get a look at third base. The Royals have said they want Hunter Dozer to win the third base job. So we'll see on that one. I'm not really sure about that, but we'll (laughs) see. Um, Mike thoughts on Camargo and Duffy, any minor league deals you like.
1: I think Duffy's interesting.
0: Um, I, you know, he might be a guy who can come in
1: and provide solid uh, defense at third base. Provide a competent at bat, though you're not going to get a whole lot of offensive production out of him. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think he's he's the one that interests me the most out of the two. Uh, the, you know, they're minor league deals, so I think they're probably depth in in AAA. Just if you know Dozier gets hurt, or you know, because you don't really want to be playing uh, Nicky Lopez at third base probably every day, or you know, you don't want him getting at bats probably every single day. So you know, maybe maybe Duffy's the guy who comes up if somebody gets hurt or If, you know, God forbid Hunter Dozier goes into a Hunter Dozier skit at the beginning of the year and just can't hit the ball or is showing that he really shouldn't be playing third base anymore, which he probably shouldn't. His defense is not great at third. So I'm a little surprised that they even want to do that. But there's no there's also no room for Hunter Dozier in the outfield either. So, you know where there is room for
0: him on the bench.
1: Uh, Hey, and you and I have been arguing for him to be a bench player for a year now. So,
0: well, you know, yeah, the bench is where he belongs, but I don't, I don't know what exactly what they're thinking, but maybe this is all just PR to try and up his trade value or something. Maybe he has a big spring and they try and move him. I don't know.
1: Well, and that was the thing I was thinking with these guys was they may have signed these guys thinking they were going to trade Hunter Dozier and they just never materialized. And now they're like, okay, well, we've got Dozier. Let's try him out. If Dozier comes out hot in that first three months, I could see him getting, I guess a guy who gets moved at the deadline and then one of these guys steps in.
0: Anybody willing to take that contract at this point? I think they're like sold. <laughs> well, if, yeah. if this front office is different than the last one, we still have, you
1: would have the questions I mean, are still
0: out on that. They are, but we're getting some evidence that it is. I mean, you know, they've traded, they've done everything you and I said they should do this off season. They've been transactional. They've made the trades. They've gone out and signed a couple guys here and there. Like, They've done the things that we basically said they needed to do. Looks like they're going to be at least a little more transactional. I'm actually a bigger fan of the Camargo signing than the Duffy signing. I think Camargo has more value, more offensive upside. He's a little bit younger. He plays shortstop and third base. Can pl- probably play second too. I mean, he could, a guy who could play all around the infield, more of a classic utility player. I think there's a better chance that Camargo makes this the major league roster at some point this year than than it is for Duffy. But we'll see on that one. Uh, interesting minor league deals. Good job by the Royals getting some guys in here. It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate and review and like and comment on this podcast anywhere you possibly can. YouTube, Apple podcasts, Spotify, leave us a comment, give us a like. It helps us so much, helps more people find the show and lets us know that you want us to produce more content. That's why we're going down to spring training and putting out an episode every night, because you guys leave us the good subscribes, the good reviews, and we think you'll be interested in something like that. So throw us a thumbs up, throw us a comment or review, something like that. Plus, if you want to, you can get it on this contest for this $100 Q39 gift card by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify, and then send us a a proof of that to RoyalsWeeklyPod at gmail.com. Get you some free barbecue. Who doesn't want some free barbecue, son? We're about to have you know, Super Bowl Sunday. We're recording on Super Bowl Sunday. Free food there. Get yourself some more free food with this free barbecue gift card. Woo woo. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We post a ton of additional analysis. And every day, we're just on there wasting our lives away on social media. Uh, and you get to get on that analysis if you follow us. We're headed into the 2023 season, but it's not just the major league guys who will have an impact on the future of the Royals. We know that the Royals rely a ton on development, which means minor league guys coming through, and Kansas City has a lot of prospects poised to help the effort in 2023 and beyond. So Mike and I would like to focus this week's spotlight segment on the Royals top 30 prospects, where we're, where they're at, and what we'd like to see from them in 2023. Uh, we get to We're going to go in depth with all, or we can't go in depth with every single one. We don't have time. We're already 22 minutes into this episode, but we're going to highlight a few of the prospects that we're most interested in. This is the Royals weekly official top 30, preseason top 30. It is very official. We put it into a spreadsheet and everything. As we know, a spreadsheet makes something much more official and much more math literate.
1: (laughs) It's the ugliest looking spreadsheet you've ever seen in your life. but uh. it's,
0: it's a great spreadsheet. But if you want to hear more about any particular prospect, because we're only going to touch on a few of this top 30, if you want to hear more about a particular prospect, follow us and reach out to us on social media, and we'll talk to you about any Royals prospect you want to talk about, because that's what we're into. We're weird people. Um, let's get started with number 30 through 21. Mike, can you please tell us who 30 through 21 on our top 30 prospects is? Number
1: thirty is a pretty familiar name. We got Freddie Fermin at number thirty, the catcher, twenty-seven-year-old catcher. He's a, a been in AAA for a long time for the Royals. Now, uh, likely to see some major league time at some point. River Town is twenty-nine, the twenty-three-year-old outfielder who had some success in High A last year uh, with the bat, especially. Hunter Patterson is at twenty-eight. Uh, he's a twenty-two-year-old left-handed pitcher who's coming off Tommy John. So we haven't really seen him at all yet, but he's got some uh, potential, if you will. Uh, Andrew Hoffman's at 27, 23-year-old right-handed pitcher who was good in high A last year, struggled a little bit in double A, and I believe we got him in a trade last year as well. I don't remember which one.
0: Drew Waters. That's the Drew Waters trade. Drew Waters trade. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we traded that pick in the supplemental round for Hoffman and Waters. Uh, Hayden Dunhurst is another young catching prospect. Uh, 2022 draftee who uh, was a big, big guy to draft there. He a lot of a lot of catching depth in this organization mm-hmm. i yeah. feel like and, and that's a good thing to have uh twenty five is austin charles a nineteen year old giant uh shortstop and pitching prospect huge out of high school he was a twenty twenty two draftee the guy's six foot six people, and there was some debate on whether the Royals would let him play both ways uh though some of the things I've read have seemed like they're focusing on him as a hitter first, but uh who knows. Uh, Beck Way is at 24, the 23-year-old right-handed pitcher, pitched pretty well in high last year. We got him in the Andrew Benintendi trade. Jonah DePoto is a 26-year-old right-handed pitcher who has pitched well in AA in the Arizona Fall League, and we're looking for maybe a kind of a bust-out year for DePoto. Will Klein is a guy that I really liked. He's at 22 for us, Uh, 23-year-old, just a hard-throwing flamethrower, huge stuff. Um, I can't remember the, Roy- the Royals moved him officially to the bullpen yet.
0: I I think so. It's hard to tell. I don't I think remember. So. They were sort of toying okay. with it. They were sort of, it was always kind of known that Klein would be a reliever, but they wanted to give him as much chance to kind of start as possible. But sometimes even when he started, he would only just go like two or three innings and then
1: move on. Yeah. But I was hoping he could stick in the rotation. He did his control, his command and his, uh, development of a third pitch. I don't think ever really materialized. Uh, junior Marin, 18 year old outfielder, very little power right now, but he's got a projectable, some projectable athleticism. He's a guy that we signed out of Venezuela, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's got good bat to ball skills, but hasn't shown much other than that yet. Uh, so he's number 21 that rounds up the last, uh, last section of the prospects for us.
0: All right. Taking, taking a look at the back third of our list there, Mike, who stands out to you in that back third? Who do you find particularly interesting? Somebody you want to watch a lot or closely in 2023?
1: Austin Charles is the guy for me just because of the frame. Pretty much Uh, the guy is big. If he can fill out with some muscle, I don't know that he sticks at short in that situation because he is so tall. And, you know, when you're that big moving around, although he is a good athlete, he's a very, very good athlete. So, you know, that could be a place that he sticks, even if he fills out, but I'd like to see what they can do with, with him if he gets a lot stronger and can develop uh, that hit tool a little bit Uh, It'll be interesting to see, especially since he's still very raw, you know, the Royals will have 100% opportunity to shape and mold the development of this kid. So I'm excited to see with his big projectable body, his big arm, what he can, what he can become.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Tall hitters always have a a difficulty to some degree because, you know, it takes a lot of coordination. There's a lot of stuff going on, arms and legs going everywhere. Yeah, but you don't usually see him playing shortstop either.
1: O'Neal Cruz is kind of the exception.
0: (laughs) The O'Neill Cruz comparisons are going to be, they're going to become annoying real fast. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully he t- shows out tons of potential with a kid like that. But, you know, I, I just remember watching tall hitters try and hit. And sometimes it can be a little, a little daunting. And my guys, the guys that I'm focusing on that back there, I chose two because I get to cheat whenever I want. Uh, Hayden Dunhurst is the one that I'm particularly interested in. Because lately I've been having a discourse about whether or not I think MJ Melendez is actually the catcher of the future for the Royals. I'm not sold that he is. And I've been sort of having a conversation with people about that. And Dunhurst could be is what's interesting. He's a a defensive catcher taken out of old miss in 2022, a guy whose offensive production dipped in his last year. And as a result, he sort of dropped to us in the fifth round, but he's had offensive success in the past. Mike mentioned, I think on our draft episode, many, many, many months ago that uh, Dunhurst uh, struggles with high uh, premium velocity, but maybe that's something they work on his bat speed. He no longer struggles with premium velocity and that sort of stuff. That's something you can work on actually. And so it'll be interesting to see. He didn't play much like in professional baseball last year. I think he had seven plate appearances or something like that. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. I'm following him because maybe he is in fact the catcher of the future for the Royals. Good defensive skills. You like that sort of thing. Hopefully uh, the rest comes around.
1: Here's my hot take. When we get a robo ump, Catching defense is going to become the nothing. It's going to be nothing. We're not going to value it hardly at all. And guys like MJ Melendez will become catching prospects because they can catch the ball. And really, it'll be all about can you block and can you throw. That'll be everything. And so he I can't think,
0: block. Like, I know Melendez. He he, Melendez struggles. He, to block. Melendez, is, it's it's not just block. He has trouble literally catching the ball. Like. I he has I, I understand. Just catching it. And but
1: there, it's gonna be it's gonna be a weighted thing. Can he be an average catcher when there is no framing involved? If he can and he can hit, you're gonna stick guys back there that can do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's the case. And I think there are other things he needs to be more consistent with, like throwing the ball down to second, especially now that base stealing may become more a part of the game now that they've instituted rules about how frequently you can throw the ball to first. You can you can attempt pickoffs. And so, you know. He's a little inconsistent with his throws. He doesn't catch the ball all that well. He doesn't receive that well, and so I'm just curious. Like maybe Hayden Dunhurst uh, is a prospect who has a chance at catcher of the future, and we can just let Melendez play an above average left field and hit as much as he wants. I also chose Do- Jonah Depoto because I feel like we're sleeping on him a little bit because he's an older prospect, but this dude has incredible stuff. He had 84 strikeouts in 63 and two thirds innings in Double A last year. That's incredible. Then he went and just mowed down the Arizona fall league with 14 strikeouts and one walk in the Arizona fall league. His issue in double a was walks. He walked 52 guys in that 63 and two thirds. But if he can harness that, his stuff, just like Dylan Coleman, we got a guy who can definitely pitch in a major league bullpen. And so I'm interested to see what he can do in 2023. I'll go ahead and give us numbers 20 through 11 for uh, our top 30 prospect list here. Number 20. My boy, Drew Parrish, he's a 25-year-old left-handed pitcher. He cruised in A last year, was really dominant uh, at AA, but then struggled uh, in AAA. Looked like he got out of his mechanics and was doing some stuff that wasn't as effective. Uh, at number 19, Samad Taylor, we got him in the Whit Merrifield trade. He's a 24-year-old utility player who sort of plays a lot of different positions. Athletic, but hurt a little too often and maybe hasn't uh, produced so much with the bat that he would be in a major league regular, but could be a valuable uh, utility piece moving forward. At number 18, TJ Uh We got him last year as well in the Andrew Benintendi trade from New York. He's a 24-year-old left-handed pitcher, played or pitched at Mizzou. Uh, he had some success in the minors, though he was hurt quite a bit. Went to A last year and struggled a little bit with Double A lot of guys do, making that transition, uh, but he, he uh, looked a little better in the Arizona Fall League. Angel Zerpa comes in at number 17, 23-year-old left-handed pitcher, struggled with his command in AA, has made a couple of major league appearances, and been okay. A lot of people are super hyped about Angel Zerpa, but most of the time, there are people who haven't watched his minor league games. They've only seen him pitch with the Royals, which is only a couple of times, and so we'll see what Zerpa is doing. Still a young guy. Uh, hopefully, he turns things around. Number 16 is an outfielder named Diego Hernandez. He's 22 years old. Glove first guy, really athletic question is, will he ever hit enough to be a significant contributor at the major league level? We'll see, but he definitely has the athleticism, definitely has the tools, can play uh, a quality center field for the Royals. Coming in at number 15 is one of the only pitchers who had any kind of success for the Royals in uh, 2022. And that's a guy named Noah Cameron, 23 year old lefty. He's actually from St. Joe, Mike. He's a he's a St. Joeite or whatever they call people from from Joe Town. Uh, he pitched well in twenty twenty two, but only when healthy. He also had stretches of uh, injury, and so that that hurts. But big time stuff on that lefty. Uh, interesting pitching prospect to watch. Another pitching prospect to a lot of us had sky high hopes for, who has just not lived up to that at all. Number fourteen, Asa Lacey, twenty three year old left handed pitcher, constantly hurt, wildly inconsistent. At this point, he has trouble locating any of his pitches. We'll see what the future's like for him. I'm very interested to see what the new pitching regime does. There are new people making decisions in the minor league pitching development, and hopefully they're doing a lot of good work with Asa Lacy. Number 13, Jonathan Bolin, 26-year-old right-handed pitcher. Just coming off Tommy John right now. For a moment, he looked like he'd be a really good uh, pitcher to have in the pipeline. Still looking for his top stuff coming off Tommy John, but there's a lot of potential there with his power sinker and a good slider. Number 12, one of our only guests in in show history, Alec Marsh, uh, a 24 year old right handed pitcher. Really good stuff, decent secondary numbers, but was hit too much in 2022. Hopefully, taking some steps forward this offseason. Sounded very positive about what he was um, taking on. Uh, during our interview. If you want to uh, listen to that interview, go listen to one of our off-season episodes with him and Alex Duvall. Coming in at number 11, Luca Tresh, a 23-year-old catcher, hit well in high A and double A in 2022. Another guy Mike mentioned as part of that catching depth that the Royals seem to have a ton of. Mike, who in that segment, our, our middle segment, stands out to you as somebody you'd like to follow closely this off-season?
1: There's, there's a lot of guys that I like in this section, especially the arms. I'm not as high on Noah Cameron as some people, but still very much believe in, in Bolin. And I like Luca Tresh a lot, a lot as well. Cause he's uh, he's got some pop in his bat along with the defensive ability. But I went with our boy, fa- friend of the show, Alec, or Alex friend Marsh. Of the show.
0: <laughs> Alec, Alec Marsh,
1: Alec Marsh was my guy. Right. Sorry. Cause you mentioned Alex Duvall. We, 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 Alex like Duvall
0: knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so Alec Marsh was uh, very kind enough to come on the show and he really explained, he didn't shy away from those questions when we asked him some tough ones, which was, hey, your secondary numbers last year were really good, but the actual outcomes weren't great. And so he he went in and explained that process and how it was tough for him and, and to keep working on improving, even though you're not getting the results that you want, you can still see some of those results. And, and, and it was a really good explanation. So I, I encourage you to go back and look at that. He's the one I'm really looking at this year to take a big step forward. I want uh, Alec Marsh to be somebody we're talking about next year as a guy coming out of spring training, possibly earning one of those starting pos- uh, starting spots in the rotation, just because he had such a good year this year. Really seems like a great dude, really pulling for the guy. And then if that happens, then we can talk about like a Royals weekly bump that prospects get when they come on our show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's what I'm really looking for. Okay. Yes. Yes. I I expect Alec Marsh to make major league starts this year because I think they're going to start in AAA. Well, he ended the year in AAA with a couple of good starts and he's talked about the things he's working on. I think there's a good chance he does well in AAA and then just gets a spot start here or there. I'm not saying he's going to get moved into the rotation permanently or anything because there's a lot of veterans in that rotation at this point, but is it, I think it's definitely possible that he's one of the guys who makes a major league start uh, this year for the Royals market. Another guy who I think has a good chance of making a start for the major league team this year is a guy named Drew Parrish. He's the one I really like from that from that middle group or not like I'm just really interested in because he did destroy AA. He he had a 2.13 ERA in 55 innings in AA last year. And I watched a lot of those starts. The guy had pinpoint command with his fastball. Nobody could touch his changeup or curveball. It was just a darting in and out and just out thinking hitters all the way up and down. Then he goes to AAA. And if you watch the two deliveries next to each other, his delivery looks different in AAA. It looks like he had, he got hit maybe a little bit, maybe changed some things without knowing it. And then he just could never find his, his mechanics again, uh, in AAA. So the stuff is there for Marsh. He doesn't throw hard. He's never going to be Parrish. a for, fr- sorry, perish. He's never going to be a front end of the rotation guy, but he has all that sort of secondary stuff that you want. The secondary pitches, the pitchability, the the intelligence to move around hitters and things like that. And i so I'm really excited to see what he does in AAA. That AAA rotation could be really, really good with Parrish, Marsh, Coard, whoever ends up down in AAA. Uh,
1: he's, I think his ceiling, you're looking at a guy like Jason Vargas, very similar styles in pitching, uh, you know, not hard throwers, but, you know, if you can command the ball and you have decent secondary stuff, I think Drew Parrish can be a Jason Vargas if he can control that, um, his mechanics and and figure out how to get out triple A hitters. I agree. I think he gets at least one start in in Major League Baseball, probably in September uh, with the Royals this year.
0: And Jason Vargas had a very good career. And so and had some very good years. He did. He had a great Royals career, especially and did.
1: Yeah, and did some. Yeah, like I said, like you said, good stuff for the Royals. So
0: Mike, go ahead and give us our top 10. This is the Royals weekly official top 10 prospects list
1: all right official top 10 prospects list here we go at number 10 out of the greater kansas city area we got ben Kaderna i always want to say Kaderna is it good i'm not weird? a
0: i'm not a names linguistic guy. i'm not i don't know like we don't okay. have to ask him. i'm just gonna call him ben <laughs> Kaderna then just call him he's ben. a 20 year old hey, right-handed
1: pitcher <laughs> hey ben hey cooter i bet hey, they Kuder. call him cooter I, I hope, hope so. they call him Cooter anyway. <laughs> 20-year-old right-handed pitcher from the Kansas City area. He pitched fairly well in A-ball. Some ups and downs. Strikeout numbers were pretty good, uh, but he's still got a lot of polish and work to do before he becomes a consistent starter. But as far as stuff goes, he has, you know, top-level uh, stuff and abilities. So maybe, you think he's got the best stuff in the in the organization? No. Minor League Baseball for the Royals? Who does?
0: Masa Lacey.
1: <laughs> Uh, I'm not even counting him. That doesn't count. Oh, for Okay. Me. Can't throw a strike. You don't get, you don't get to qualify.
0: No, I don't think it, no, I, maybe, uh, maybe top five for Kuderna in terms of stuff.
1: Oh, f- for sure. Marsh.
0: I think Marsh's I think are better.
1: Yeah. Marsh may be better there. Uh, number nine is a guy that I'm very excited about in Peyton Wilson, 23 year old, uh, outfielder, probably some second base. He was drafted as a second baseman, real tools. He can run, can throw, has some pop in his bat, he needs to work on his approach still, but he seemed to get hot towards the end of last year. So that's probably what pulls him up to number nine there. Number eight, Frank Mazzucato, the 19 year old lefty who was our number one pick uh, two years ago. Uh, real projectable. He struggled in 2022. He's got some weird numbers. There's some guys in this uh, organization that had some really weird numbers. Mazzucato at times looked like he was going to be a guy that could strike out a bunch of people. And at times it looked like it was his first time on the mound last year. Uh, it, it, you know, real up and down minor league year for Frank Mazzucato last year. So hopefully we see a lot of development out of him. Number seven, we we have him a little lower than some people is Nick Lofton. The 24 year old uh, utility guy can play a lot of different positions uh, out of Baylor. Okay. He may never hit enough to be a permanent starter. His power is about a, maybe a 15 is the max for home run 15 to 20, somewhere in there. He runs good, not great. You know, he's one of those guys. If you had to compare him, a lot of people compare him to Whit Merrifield. I don't know if his bat-to-ball skills are, are what wits were, but um, he's in our number 7 prospect. Drew Waters is our number 6 prospect. Got him in a trade last year. 24-year-old switch-hitting outfielder. He's athletic. He's got pop in his bat, but he needs to calm down on the striking out. Even when he got to the Royals last year, those strikeout numbers were pretty high, even though some of the results were good. Uh, So it'll be interesting. He'll probably start with the major league club this year. Uh, Number five is Carter Jensen, another Kansas city area prospect, 19 year old catcher Uh, defense is improving. He hits the ball hard, really hard. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about him in a second. Caden Wallace is the number four, 21 year old third base prospect out of Oklahoma state. If I'm not mistaken, Arkansas, Ark. No, is it Arkansas? Yeah, it's Arkansas. It is Arkansas. You're right. Um, Lots of tools. Needs work on his approach. Solid defender, I think a little bit better than what people thought at third. Um, So he's going to be a really exciting guy, too. He was a draft-eligible sophomore that we took last year. Number three, top three here, we have Gavin Cross at number three. Okay? Some some people think he's number one. We have him at number three Some people
0: think he's number
1: one. (laughs) 22-year-old outfielder. Solid defender. Probably doesn't stay in center. He's probably a corner guy. But he hits the ball really hard. And it looks like he maybe... That power potential may be something that can continue to develop, which is what I was scared about when the Royals took him. I didn't know if he'd ever develop uh, the the exit velocities into home runs. So it looks like he might be able to do that. Number two for us is Michael Garcia, which is a lot higher than a lot of people put him. He's a 22-year-old shortstop. He's a at least above average defender, if not even higher than that. He's got a good approach. He takes, you know, he takes walks. Um, and it looks like possibly he's starting to tap into a little bit more power and has physically developed a little bit. Uh, he was a guy that you looked at was like a zero to five home runs a year kind of guy. If you can get him to a place where it's around 10, I think you feel like you've done really well and really more for him to be more about doubles power, um, and stuff like that. So if you can get a good, now the hard part is if the Royals are dead set on Bobby witt junior playing short, uh, Michael Garcia's value goes way down. Um Number one, though, our number one prospect right now is Tyler Gentry, the 24-year-old outfielder, uh, had a phenomenal year last year with the bat, killed double-A pitching. He's got a solid approach. He's got uh, surprising power. He's a good defender in the corner outfield, uh, possible four to five war player in our opinion. Uh, We think Tyler Gentry is going to be quite the performer if they can find a way to get him at bats in the major league level.
0: Now, I hear what you're all saying. You're all saying, these people are crazy. Why isn't Gavin Cross number one? Why is Mikael Garcia so high? Why is Nick Lofton so low? Let me explain. I think that Nick Lofton, there's a significant chance that Nick Lofton will not hit enough to be an everyday major league contributor. Okay, And if you're not an everyday major league contributor, it's hard to put you in the top five of a system. Definitely in the top three of a system. Can he be a useful utility piece? Sure. But there's a chance that he won't ever hit enough to be more than that. And I don't know that he's a good enough defender anywhere to be like a, an Adam of whose defense is so good. He's worth two war just as a defender. You know, I don't think he's, he's not that at shortstop. That's for sure. He's not that in center field. That's for sure. Where's he going to be? Like, he's not a hugely valuable defender at any one position. He's just pretty good at a lot of them. That's valuable into, unto itself, but it's not, top three of an organization valuable, you know, and so far he hasn't hit enough at any level for me to say, oh, this guy's going to hit real well in the major leagues. No, I think there's a decent chance that he never hits better than something like a 90 weighted runs created plus in the major leagues, which isn't an everyday player if he's not really good defensively somewhere. And so I'm not as high on Nick Lofton as a lot of people are. What about Gavin Cross? Me putting Gavin Cross at what do we have him at, Mike? Four? Three. Wait him at three. Three. That's pretty good. <laughs> not putting him number one is not a reflection on Gavin Cross. It's just that I think that Gavin or Tyler Gentry is my number one because I think he's what we hope Gavin Cross is in two years, right? But he's already doing it. He's already producing at the double A level. He's already doing a lot of things in terms of walk and strikeout rate that we hope Gavin Cross gets to, right? And so we don't have to hope on him; he's already doing it, you know. And so my, I'm, I'm willing to prize or to sort of reward guys for having performed more at the upper levels of minor leagues and having that track record in the minor leagues than I am to say, oh, because Gavin Cross is the hot new pick; he's the first round pick; he's so good. Yeah. No, no, no. Show me the guy who's done it already. Show me the guy who's already performed in minor league baseball. That's why Michael Garcia is above him too. Michael Garcia is one bump in his power away from being a four to five WAR player consistently because he has the defense at at shortstop. He just needs to hit the ball a little bit harder and who knows he may be there already from what we're seeing out of winter ball from him. Right. And so if he takes a tick up in his, in his power and he's still young, 22, 23 years old, a tick up in his power and he's a four to five war player player, two ticks. And he's like, you know, really, really good. And so, I think that it makes sense in my mind to rank those guys a little higher than Gavin cross, who just doesn't have the track record. Same with Caden Wallace.
1: Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Carter Jensen. He's a guy that has really surprised me coming out. I didn't realize how hard he would hit the ball consistently in his first year playing and, and the defense is better than what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Keith wall came out with his top 20 Royals uh, list This past week or two weeks ago, I can't remember what it was now. And he talked in there about how Carter, like industry people were saying Carter Jensen's defense is above average, which they thought it was going to be something where he had to move to another position because his bat was going to move a lot faster than those defensive skills. And so we always knew he had a big arm, but he he lacked in some of those other things. And he has improved those so much that now people are saying his defense is above average. And so above average with the, how hard he hits the ball is a special kind of guy now he needs to work on getting more loft. And I think Keith law mentioned a little bit of being a little too pole happy in that uh, article that he had. But if you look at like his exit velocities and things like that, or just watch and you're like, oh my gosh, a 19 year old, or actually he was 18 at the time playing at that level who, you know, is a year earlier was, you know, hitting balls in Parkville, uh, <laughs> was just crushing the ball. And it's like, oh my gosh, the, the, the potential is so high for him, and the, it seems like the worth ethic matches that. So uh, maybe down the road we can get old Carter Jensen on here, give him the Royals Weekly bump. Uh, when oh, yeah. he needs that, that's good. I want to get, I want to we'll get him on here, do that. So um, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm really excited about both Gentry and Carter Jensen, both of them.
0: Yeah, I'm a big Gentry guy. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that. Just a real quick case for why he should be number one and why we like him so much. The guy hit 326 as an as a batting average in double or last year between high a and double a 422 as an on base and 542 as a slugging those numbers didn't dip at all when he went from a from advanced a to double a he just kept hitting 20% strikeout rate 10% walk rate just a consistent guy and i think it's that approach his really good approach that's going to allow him to continue to transition to triple a and then the majors without much dip in his performance That's what I'm really looking for. Like what I'm projecting for Gentry four or five war as a player at his peak, but I think his peak can last for a while. He's a 55 grade defender. He can play right field. He has a strong arm. He can hit like, what isn't there to like about this guy? I know we're looking for superstars sometimes at the very top of our lists. but I'm also willing to put guys up there, especially in a system that I don't think has a lot of potential superstars in it, or maybe any, right? Maybe Jensen might be one, but I don't think there's a ton of potential superstars in the Royals list. I'm willing to put guys at the top who look like, to me, there's a really good chance they're going to be not superstars, but really good players for a long time. Mike, let's take a broader picture of this system real quick before we move on. What do you think of this system as a whole when you step back and look at it from 30,000 feet? Honestly, I have a pretty positive approach to this system right now. It's not the the jacked ones that we
1: saw in some of the years of the Dayton Moore years, with the high end talent. Um, I think you have really good hitting depth in the organization that you're like, Hey, especially, you know, at catcher, there's certain areas, catcher outfield. You know, I think the depth is really good in some of those spots. The negative is our overall pitching depth is, is bad. It's not average or so, so or below average it's flat out bad. Um, You know, I like, there's some guys I like, you know, I still like Bolin, but he's coming off injury. I like Alec Marsh a lot. But he's coming off of a year that had some shaky results. Drew Parrish the same way. You know, there's some of these guys that I really like their profiles, but even those guys, you're like, I like your profile a lot, but I haven't seen the results yet. That's as good as you can say about guys. That's the best you can say about them.
0: It's weird to me that you could say the same thing if you were on Tinder or something like, I like your profile, but I haven't seen the results from you right now. (laughs) Yeah. I never took it to that place, you weirdo. But, I don't know uh, why I don't know why that popped in my brain, but I'm like, oh, <laughs> we could say the same thing about dating, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know the swiping right versus swiping left. I don't know which uh, one was good you, or you bad. were married
0: before that was all a thing. I know. know, I know.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, there's some guys I'd swipe right on if that's a good thing. I don't know. If that's if a good thing, I don't know. Uh, but there's a lot of these a lot of the pitching prospects, especially starting pitching prospects, are not don't don't move the needle for me. So we need help there. But overall, it's not a bot. I don't think it's a bottom five organization right now. Talent wise.
0: No, it's not. I agree with you. Like there's a There's a lot of depth in this organization, which is what I agree with Keith law too. This was his assessment of the org as well. There's depth in the organization, especially hitting wise. And while you see the pitching as like a negative, I'm going to put on my optimist hat and I'm going to see it as an opportunity. (laughs) <laughs> that's what you say, right? It's not a negative. It's an opportunity, it's An opportunity to get better. They've been so bad. It's an opportunity to get better. And so well, it's not like there's not talent there, right? Like there's arm talent. These dudes can throw, some of them can spin so on and so forth. What they need is somebody who can develop them. When they find that person, the pitching will get better. I promise the pitching will get better. Frank Mazzucato will get better. Ben Coderna will get better. You know, Jonathan Bolin will get better. All these guys will get better. So there is an opportunity where they're with the pitching, but you're right. Right now, it's just we haven't seen anything from the pitching. It's just an opportunity. And if they don't get better, if, if the people they have in there now to do the pitching development aren't better than the previous group, then that opportunity will be wasted. The offseason is coming to a close, but the Royals still have plenty of questions left to answer before opening day. Luckily, they have spring training to see more from young players and make some key decisions. I want to dig into some of the questions that we think the Royals will have to answer before the end of spring training. Mike, what's the most important question you think they need to answer before March 30th?
1: I got to go with the starting rotation. How will the starting rotation shake out? Who, who makes all those five spots? And really, honestly, who, who are the next three guys behind them? I think all of those are important questions to answer And will ultimately be the thing that determines how well the season goes. I don't think we have anybody to the point where it's like, okay, well, we can win 95 games, but I think, you know, I don't know. It'll really change your outlook on this. If they stock that starting rotation with like all the veterans that they have, I don't know that it's going to be as exciting to watch the development of those young guys because they'll all be in triple A you know, Kowar's probably certainly going to triple A, but if Lynch doesn't win one of those spots and he starts in triple A and Hernandez is in triple A, you know, like let's say Bubich wins the fifth spot and the other four are taken by Keller, Lyles, Singer, and Granke, then there's no development going on there other than maybe Singer, you know, the rest of those guys I think are just what they are. And so it'll be interesting to see there's the spring training, especially for the starting pitching staff is going to be very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, it will be. And, the weird thing is you don't want to base a lot of your decisions on spring training, but they've also kind of put themselves in the position where they have no choice but to do that. Right. And so the thing that I'm most interested in or the question that I'm ready to answer is how will coaching changes impact the team? And we mentioned pitcher usage. That's a big one for me. Like, will we start, we won't see it in spring training because spring training is all about guys getting their work in and stuff like that. But will we see um, some guys coming out, trying new pitches? There's been, there's been word of Keller trying a curveball. Will we see what Sweeney has been working on with some of these guys? Will we? It'll be interesting to see sort of how coaching changes are impacting the team in terms of who's going to play where, who's going to get to play all these sorts of things.
1: I tell you a question I still have, and I want to see it looked at in spring training. How much is Singer throwing that change up in spring training? That's still a question to me.
0: Might as well like, have him throw it a ton in spring training, like work on it there. That's where you work on pitches, work on that changeup. How does it look coming out of the off season? I'm really curious to see what that changeup looks like. Have they helped make it better? You know, has as a private organization, help make it better. Somebody, because that changeup is going to be really important and really interesting. You know, any pitches, Lynch, what's the fastball look like? Like, has he tried a different one? Are they going to have him do different things? All these sorts of questions are about coaching changes, really. And the impact of them. Yeah.
1: And Keller too, is he th- leaning on the four seam or is he going to the two seam? Like, I really want to see what he's doing there. I have a personal opinion on what I think he should do, but I want to see the results that the stat or what the staff has gotten him to do or what they think is best for him.
0: Yeah. Any other sort of, uh, things that you, what you're looking forward or questions you're really looking forward to answering as we look at spring training?
1: Yeah. I've got a million, by the way, cause you stole one of mine, by the way. And then I had to come up with another one on the fly, like right before the show. Luckily but it was you have easy. a million. I I got like 40 of them up here. Uh, Can Singer have a first half this year that mimics his second half last year? Can he continue being a guy who looks like the leader of this rotation? At times it has appeared like he's a little bit, I don't want to say it's wrong to say mentally weak because I don't think that's right, but I think he can sometimes get in his own head. I hope that doesn't happen coming into this year. I hope it's a fluid continuation of the things that were happening the second half last year. And then he just carries that into the start of this year with the devastating two-seamer, the really good slider, and then hopefully mixing in that change up well.
0: Yeah, I hope that's the case too. I'm sort of asking a question about more about coaching, and that is, how will Cotuero find time for all these young players? They have so many young players that they need to get time for in this line up in this rotation and this pitching staff and things like that. How will Quotero find time for these guys? Isbel and Waters and Eaton and Olivares and Melendez in the outfield. That's they got four or five guys they need to find time for in the outfield. They got you know, uh, Michael Garcia and Bobby Witt Jr. Nikki, Nikki Lopez isn't really young, but, he, you know, he's, they need time for him. And Michael Massey and Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado. There's just so many guys they need to find time for, both during spring training and then they'll have to find time for them in the regular season. How's he going to do it? What's rotation going to look like? What's platooning going to look like? They probably won't platoon much during the spring training, but it, it's just interesting to me to see, like, what are the different combinations Quattrero comes with to play with in, in spring training?
1: Yeah, and I I, I don't know that he may actually platoon a little bit in spring training, I, just you know a little so. towards the end just to see what it looks like. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be crazy to see how that outfield shakes out. Where is Hunter Dozier going to play? Is he actually going to be? Their everyday third baseman—is that really going to happen?
0: Maybe that should have been our number one question. Is he actually <laughs> going to be their third baseman? We gotta answer really? this question. Is he actually yeah. going to play third base? Oh, don't make should me be watch. Fun that. To watch right? No, it will not be fun to watch. <laughs> Please don't make me. Oh uh,
1: yeah, it's gonna be—it's gonna be such a wild spring training. I, I mean, I even have questions about like the broadcast. Oh yeah, you know, I want to hear Jake I- Eisenberg coming He's up. He's great. I've, yeah, I mean, I've listened to
0: a ton uh, of his football yeah, like games. Him. He's great. I can't wait.
1: There's just so many questions when you change out the the front office and the whole coaching staff and, and all that stuff. It, and with all the guys we've traded, it's just there's so many questions about spring training. That's why I'm excited to get down there with you and, and experience it. Big thanks to my in-laws who are letting us stay at their place for free. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm excited for spring training. Now, I'm not excited because. How are we gonna watch baseball games?
0: Does anybody know yet? We'll get to that. That's another thing for Does another. Does anybody day. know? Okay. We'll watch.
1: It. <laughs> you and I, you and I can battle that out later. Like, yeah. who's how are we gonna watch these games?
0: <laughs> we'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, you've got a whole month of worth of stuff saved up to talk about, and yet somehow I can't really discern what you're talking about today. Let us know what's happening to you outside the world of baseball.
1: I did have a couple of things to, to put in there, but you know, I was cruising through Twitter last night and I kept seeing stuff about, Hey, party down here in Phoenix. I'm like, what the heck? And I just, it just like dawned on me. Oh my gosh, Phoenix, Arizona right now at the end of February and beginning of March or half, back half of February, beginning half of March is like the party capital of our country. Okay. They just had the waste management open. Do you know what that is? It's the yes. animal house of golf tournaments. It's insane. Okay. They are about to have the Super Bowl today. Unreal. Right. Spring training is getting ready to start down there. Crazy fun time, which the Mark has never been to spring training, but I have when I went down there with my wife, it was just a party. We just had, we just parted the whole time. It was great. This is before we had a, a kid. Um, and so, yeah, like, I mean, who do uh, Arizona state is there. Arizona state's like only known for being wasted and taking seven years to get a business degree. So like, like this is unreal. When did Phoenix, Arizona become the, the place to be? Hey, the geriatrics
0: know Anybody? how to do it, my man. They're, they pop, I guess they and pop a Geritol and they get out there and do keg stands day after day. The after amount day. of,
1: okay. So my in-laws, they live in like a retirement community down there. My mother and father-in-law and my, and my wife's grandma. Um, and, like if they didn't live in that community where everybody was like 70, they would, I'm sure like, I, I'm wondering there's gotta be a bunch of people who actually live in Phoenix that are just pissed. All this stuff is happening at the oh, same yeah. time. <laughs> I would think like they have to be, you know, because the it, traffic's it's gotta terrible be a now.
0: Um, I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, Yeah, it is a party downtown. We've kind of gone this whole episode without talking about the Super Bowl, really. The Super Bowl is tonight. (laughs) The Chiefs are playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, The Chiefs are in (laughs) it, of course, right? But we wanted to be available right after that. So you guys say, let's kick off baseball season. And we we, we don't know what's going to happen tonight. We don't know if they've won or if they've lost or anything like that. What we want to do is raise your spirits if they've lost or... You know, get you even more jacked if they've won. Yay! It's baseball time. Yay! Um, but yeah, it will be the Super Bowl. They will be crazy down in Arizona. I'm sure people are gonna be having lots of fun. Let's remember it's a game and let's not hurt anybody. <laughs> Including yourself. Including yourself. Win or lose. Let's not let's not do anything to get anybody hurt, okay? Um, but yes. Phoenix, Arizona, Party Central. Uh I'm talking about a TV show that I've started watching recently because Like two days ago, I was watching an episode of it and I laughed so hard. I thought the thing that was said was probably the funniest joke ever written. Just ever written. I don't know why. Probably because it snuck up on me, you know, as a joke, it just really snuck up on me. So in the episode, Martin Short, uh, the the name of the show is Only Murders in the Building. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's on Hulu. It stars uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Hilarious show. Love it. It is. It is really funny at, at points, right? Some of it. Sometimes it's like yeah, it kind of drag. Not drags, but it's just not as funny at certain points. And then other points, it's very funny. Um, but the joke that killed me, man, it just floored me. Martin Short gets into an elevator with Sting, the musician. Sting, right? From of from the, the police. police. Yeah, and he's got his dog with him, and his dog like uh, is all up on Sting getting in his business. And Martin's short goes, <laughs> Winnie is the dog's name. Winnie, don't stand so close to Sting. <laughs> and I just died laughing. I just died. For I our, could not stop laughing. For our non-police
1: listeners, there was a song called <laughs> Don't Stand So Close to Me. So close to me. Sting was the singer of the band, so <laughs> yeah.
0: Don't say it's a so close thing. You it just killed me. I'm laughing about it still. I just can't. It's too good. It's too Steve, good of a joke.
1: Steve Martin and and uh, Martin Short are a license to print money. Those guys are just hilarious <laughs> in everything they do. It's it's I'm su-
0: I, The thing that has surprised me about the show is how good Martin Short is in it. Like, yes. mm-hmm. you know, there are times when Martin Short is just a little too much for me. You know, like it's just you know he's too over the top or whatever. But the character they've written is perfect for him. For one, those moments are over the top, but it like plays into his character. And then he also has moments where he's not doing that, where like you get to see like really moments of great acting from him about like, you know, embarrassment and shame that he feels about certain things. And it's re- it's really good. It's just a really good show. It's funny. It's light. It's like there's a mystery element to it. You know, it's a, about true crime podcasting or whatever, but I highly recommend it. I'm sorry I ruined that joke for you, but I just had to tell it to you because it <laughs> it'll still down, sneak up on you. It it'll will. still be funny. Uh, but like, man, it is so funny. There are a couple times where I have just been like laughing out loud with this show. Anyway, that is all we have for this episode. It has gone on for quite a while. We're tr- we try and keep it shorter than this, but we had so much to talk about. Good luck to the Chiefs tonight in their Super Bowl. We are hoping for a big Chiefs victory. Let's go, we will be watching. We will be Glued to our televisions. Hopefully, you all have a good time watching that Super Bowl tonight. Baseball season starts tomorrow when this episode will air. Until then, be good to each other and go Royals and Chiefs.